This is Golf with Jay Delsing. A two-time All-American at UCLA. A participant in nearly 700 PGA Tour events. Seven professional wins to his credit. Over 30 years of professional golf experience. A member of the St. Louis Sports Hall of Fame. This is Golf with Jay Delsing. This is Golf with Jay Delsing. I'm Dan McLaughlin. Jay Delsing over there. Happy holidays to everyone, and hopefully you're having a great holiday season. This is our best of show. Some of the best interviews and visits that we've had throughout the year, and we'll be replaying those interviews throughout the next two hours. We hope you enjoy it. It's the best of Golf with Jay Delsing. Often in sports and in business, when talking about someone's success, you hear about the support system that he or she may have, and there's none better in the game of golf than Barbara Nicholas. And Barbara, thanks for joining us. We certainly appreciate it. Well, it's such a nice compliment that you asked. Oh my gosh, Barbara, the, the first lady of golf, I think about the things that you've done, and I, I just can I, I think it'd be really, really interesting to, to let the listeners get a little background on you and Jack and how you met and playing the tour back in the days. I think it'd be really interesting. Oh my gosh, that could take a week, Jay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Jack and I actually met the first week of our freshman year in college, and uh uh, I knew nothing about golf, and he actually really wasn't playing much golf at that time. I mean, just kind of getting into it. And my dad was a high school math teacher, so there was really no golf in our family. And uh, so we just uh, we dated a, the first first quarter in school and got to about uh, the holidays and thought, oh, maybe time to, you know, to maybe see other people. So we did for almost two months, and then got back together in February and we were married between our junior and senior year. So it that that part kind of flew by. Well, when you are married as long as you guys have been, you have different initiatives in life, whether it's in golf or philanthropy, and that's really the main reason we wanted to talk to you about and uh, and what you've done for children. How did that all start for you? And maybe you can give our listeners that don't know the background of what you went through as a family, and that's now uh, been able to raise millions of dollars because of a scary incident within your family. Well, I think uh, it all began when our daughter Nan was 11 months old and she started choking and she would choke at home and then be fine by the time I get her to the doctor she'd be fine but at that time he would even run by the house and she'd be fine so finally he said Barbara there's something wrong with this child so they did an x-ray found a little shadow and uh, then they did a bronchoscopy and discovered she had inhaled about nine pieces of blue crayon. So, of course, when they got in the windpipe, it was choking her, but when they moved, she was fine. So in the process of doing the bronchoscopy, they dropped the piece of crayon in her lung, which, of course, went into pneumonia, and we sat by an oxygen tent for six days just praying that she was going to make it. So we looked at each other as young parents and said, you know what? If we're ever in a position to help someone, we want it to be children. So we weren't in any position then, but uh, when we were, we just... Um, uh, started our foundation in 2004 and sort of just helped small agencies and small diseases in, in our in our area. And uh, then it was interesting, uh, Miami Children's Hospital, we had done some things with them, and they kind of wanted to be a more global hospital. 
So they asked if they could use our name, which they now have changed Miami Children's Hospital to Nicholas Children's Hospital. So we've come a long way, and we're so proud of what's going on and how we've been able to help children, which is, I think, um, one of my favorites saying that uh, a baby is God's opinion that the world should go on. So there's nothing better or more that more just more wonderful than a than a healthy child. Oh, Barbara, I love that saying. And you know, when I think about the PGA Tour, and you guys were there from you know pretty much the inception. If you think think back, uh, did you ever envision where we would be today? I mean, millions and tens and hundreds of millions of dollars just that golf has raised, and then you as a family. Well, I think any any of the golfers uh, is so proud of what uh, what's been done. The golfers get it, Jay. I mean, they just uh, uh, they want to give back, and I, I think this generation now, the young ones, they they really they give back so quickly, and uh, I think it's wonderful. I know I, I think golf gives gives more to charity than all the other national sports put together. So I think all the guys on the tour are very proud of that. We're proud of them. We're going to get back to some of that, but I'm curious, what was it like when you're watching your husband playing the Masters or playing a, a major, and you're you're probably biting nails over there? What was that like <laughs> watching him do his thing? Well, you know, it's kind of funny. People accuse me of looking like I'm at a tea party, which uh, I'm really not. But, <laughs> you know, I didn't know golf existed when I met Jack, so actually watching him play, I really didn't know I was supposed to be nervous. So I think I just loved watching him and, uh, you know, obviously got really into it and didn't ever want to miss a, a shot. Barbara, and you think about Gary, I got to play with Jackie in college and just, and Steve playing football at, at uh, Florida State, but also a really good player. The, the offshoots of the game of golf, Barbara, and your, what your, your children have done and the foundations and the golf courses, the communities that people live in, the whole thing has just exploded in, into this massive golf-related thing. Well, you know, it's funny with all the things you just said in that last spiel, family kind of jumped out at me. And I, I kind of laughed because Jack would fly across country for one of the kids' baseball games. Uh, he flew between rounds of the Mexican Open for the kids to play a state high school football game. And I think the kids, our kids just thought that's what dads do. Well, now that they're married and have their own, they will say to me, Mom, I can't believe Dad came here. I can't believe Dad came there. And Nan said, and Nan would say to me, Mom, Dad came to more games than the parents that lived in town. So I think that may be what he's most proud of, that uh, he said, I refuse for my kids to go away to college and not know. And believe me, he knew each one of them. I'm sure, too, you're so proud of the Play Yellow initiative. Can you dive into that for our listeners and explain, uh, Barbara, how that all transpired and, and what it means to you today? Well, I'll tell you that. I get so emotional when I think of that Play Yellow and how some tiny little thing has grown into this fabulous fundraiser. Uh, my minister's wife called me, and it was in the late 60s, and she said, Barbara, our son Craig has just been diagnosed with Ewing sarcoma. He's a big fan of Jack's. Do you think Jack would ever call him? I said, Mary Lou, of course he would call him. Well, uh, fortunately, this turned out to be a wonderful, uh, very personal friendship, and and Jack and Craig probably talked at least once a week. And one Sunday night, Jack had called Craig, and it happened to be a tournament he had won that day. And Craig said, Jack, you know why you won that tournament today? Jack said, no, Craig, why? 
He said, because I had on my lucky yellow shirt. So from then on, Jack said to Craig, he said, well, if you can wear a lucky yellow shirt for me, I can wear a lucky yellow shirt for you. So we didn't say anything publicly. It was just kind of our little thing. But Jack basically wore a yellow shirt most every Sunday that he played. We lost Craig in uh, 1971. He was 13 years old. But his memory has, you know, stayed with us and the love that the two of them had for each other. And it happened to be an April day in 1986. We're at the Masters, and it's Sunday of the last round. And Jack's kind of rummaging through his suitcase trying to find something to wear. And he pulls out this yellow shirt, and he looks over at me, and he says, What do you think? I said, Jack, I have to wear it, not only in memory of Craig, but in honor of Craig. So when Jack won the Masters in that day, the yellow shirt story kind of became public. And uh, it's just, it's grown. And I mean, the, uh, in nine, I think it was 2019 at the Players' Championship. Children's Miracle Network and uh, the PGA Tour and our foundation and the two of us uh, came together as a partner and uh, we made a pledge to raise $100 million in the first five years. And we are very excited that uh, when we have our annual meeting in October that we can uh, actually say we are on track for about $130 million. Funds raised stay locally in the uh, Children's Miracle Network hospitals, which we have about 170 across the U.S. and Canada. So it's just exploded, and so many groups have had uh, 12 sessions or fundraisers for Play Yellow. And I think now when people see Yellow on the golf course, they relate it to Play Yellow. And I think we've gotten a lot of... Uh, donations that way, that people are just excited to be a part of something that helps children. Barbara, I can, I can uh, say with such honor that the Children's Miracle Network asked me to be their, their local chair for the event here. And I have learned more about this play yellow, you know, since you guys became involved and I'm, it's so dynamic and it's got so many of the com, uh, community sponsors involved. It's really special. Well, I think it's just great. I mean, the the, uh, <clears throat> the birdies for children and the birdie bash and what do you call your swing for miracles? Was that it? And, yes. Uh, I mean, I think it's just fabulous that a lot of local groups are catching on. And at the Memorial Tournament uh, a couple of years, we would um, give a yellow T-shirt to anyone who came in, came in the gate and donated. So it, it's it's just, it's so emotional for me to think of just a, a wonderful, beautiful friendship between Jack and Craig has grown into such a wonderful fundraiser. What's it mean to you, and Barbara Nicholas is our guest, when you see the players of today wearing the ribbons or wearing that yellow shirt and the pride that you must have as a family to see that uh, transpire on those weekends and those special days? I get very emotional when I see that. But I think it's just indicative of how our golfers today feel. They're not out there for themselves. They're out there for others. And I know some of the pros on the tour now, they'll hear we're having a fundraiser and they'll call. How can I help? I mean, I just it's, it's just fabulous, I think, how the golf world reacts to this. Barbara, I can just say this as a player, to have someone like the Nicholas family, you and Jack, as at the top of the heap, being this example, I, it's it's super, super special. It means a ton for us to get to learn and get to see, 
you know, how this is supposed to be done. You, you talk about how the golfers want to give back. When I first got on tour, you know, you always would look to the leaders of the guys on the tour, and that's where the examples are all laid down. And I know that you still have good relationships with Ricky Fowler and a lot of the younger players as well that, that, that kind of come to you for counsel. Yeah, I call Rick, Ricky calls me his other mom. So I was very happy when my little boy won yesterday. Great. When you're at the memorial and the players are coming off on the 18th, I'd love to be a fly on the wall of some of those conversations. Can you uh, pull back the curtain a little bit? What are, what are those conversations like with you, Jack, and a player? Well, you know, really, there's really not much conversation. I mean, they're anxious to get off. They're anxious to sign their scorecards, and they just stop and, uh, you know, just – really to be polite to Jack, and of course Jack's always thrilled to just say congrats and probably have more conversation later. When, when I think about how you and Jack started and the PGA Tour started, and just how, I don't know a better description, of, but saying the world was just kind of smaller, you know, I'm not a huge social media fan and things like that, but there are, there are ways to really tell like to play yellow story through Facebook and things like that, that never existed. It's really remarkable when you think about how much these initiatives touch people, touch families' lives all across the world now. Well, I don't think any of us was really trying to do that. We just thought it was the right thing to do. And then all of a sudden someone would come in from over here. Someone would come in from over there. We thought, Hey, this is really something important and something that we can raise a lot of money and do a lot of good for children, for, for their resources, for, I mean, just whatever. The corporate partners and the industry partners from the tour and the PGA of America. And we just feel like all of a sudden we're reaching communities nationwide, which what could be better. It's fantastic. And one of the things that always interests me, Barbara, when Jack would talk about how many majors he won and said, you know, I was probably good for two or three of those, but Barbara was really responsible for the others. I, I, he I, probably just looked over and saw me and said that. <laughs> he saw you walk in the room. But, Barbara, <laughs> want to talk, talk a little bit about supporting. I mean, here's the, the best golfer that's ever played. I mean, uh, just a little bit of insight into family life because you, you, here's a guy flying across country to go to – to games and to miss not miss dances and things like that while still trying to compete at the highest level there had to be some some down moments well you know we were married and had jackie before jack turned pro so uh i not only did not know how to travel with a child i didn't know how to travel by myself but uh i i think it just all started very innocently i just thought that was my place to be to you know to support him it, it was, like you said, it was kind of different. It was kind of like a small family back then. If if someone else's husband happened to be playing better than Jack, I would keep her kids that day. Or vice versa, one of the other wives would keep mine. So it kind of started out like that. And, you know, it's, it's just grown. And I think, I think the golfer's wives appreciate everything. And it's very different now. I mean, they have a lot of people traveling with them. And it's very different. And I don't think either one was better. We just thought... Our realm was the, was the best and the greatest to be in. I, I guess you just you just do what you do. And I know sometimes uh, some of the gals will ask for a little advice. And I think the main thing that I really like to say to them is just because you've become a mother, don't forget that you're a wife. 
And wow. um, I wow. think that says a lot for the gals out there. It really does. And I bet some of those other wives really got to know the Nicholas children because your man played well a lot of times over there. <laughs> you know what? One of the things I can remember when we had Andy North, I think, on the show, and they talked about that where we almost had this traveling community where your children would be friends with kids that were also parents were playing on the tour and then they'd go home and have a, a different set of friends. And my daughters even had that Barbara. And it was really kind of, kind of a special treat when they reunite with other friends. It is special. And I think we still have like Andy and Sue North, we still have that friendship today. So uh, I, I think those are special and that's what you look back on and treasure. Well, Barbara, we'll let you go because we know you're busy and you got a lot of money to raise, so that's always good to talk about. But I'm keep trying. I know you do. So what's the best way for people to find out more about this, educate themselves, and then ultimately, hopefully, donate time and money to what you're doing? Well, um, our foundation is Nicholas Children's Healthcare Foundation, which uh, we formed in 2004, and that benefit, like uh, every penny from the Memorial Tournament goes there, but it's Every penny that goes through our foundation and stays in Columbus. So every penny that we raise around the country stays where it's where it's raised. So I think we're proud of that. And then the Play Yellow organization is just playyellow.org. So, um, like I said, I get so emotional just saying Play Yellow when I think of our precious Craig. So a lot of good things have happened, and Jack and I are very blessed. Barbara, we so appreciate your time. And, and- don't stop anytime soon. This country, we, we golfers, we all we all need your support. And we all need your guidance. Well, you're very kind, and I'm not so sure about that, but I appreciate it. Fun to talk to you guys. Thanks a lot. Thank have, you so much. Have a great day. Christmas is a time to make memories with the ones we love. Memories of sharing our favorite holiday traditions. Memories of spending time with family. But some kids won't have the memories of opening gifts around the tree. This Christmas, you can make a difference in the lives of Cardinal Glennon kids who won't be home for the holidays. Give your gift today at treeofhope.org and give hope to a child this Christmas. Darty Business Solutions has been enhancing the business of our customers for the last 37 years. How do we do it? Through our expertise in technology, better use of data and analytics, artificial intelligence, and machine learning. We roll up our sleeves and collaborate. We build applications and effectively communicate with our partner clients to bring their goals and objectives to the finish line. Our award-winning Access Point program is a community game changer. With nearly 100 students in the program, mostly young African-American females are making between 55 and $60,000 per year right out of high school. That's right, fifty-five dollars to $60,000 a year right after high school graduation. That's when they begin their training. CEO Ron Darty believes the talent is equally distributed, but access to that opportunity is not. So here's Access Point, providing more and more opportunity for those in and around our community. It's Darty Business Solutions. Get ready to watch the legends of golf up close when they compete at historic Norwood Hills Country Club right here in St. Louis. The Ascension Charity Classic will be back again with some of golf's greatest names. Steve Stricker, Padraig Harrington, John Daly, David Duvall, Bernard Longer, Justin Leonard, David Toms, and more will compete returning September 3rd through the 8th. 
Visit ascensioncharityclassic.com for information. Are you driving an out-of-warranty car? It's only a matter of time before your out-of-warranty vehicle is in the shop costing you thousands of dollars. Auto repair costs are up nearly 20% from last year, which is four times the rate of inflation. If an unexpected breakdown happened today, would you be ready for that? Well, now you can be with a plan through CarShield. Even if your car is just over three years old, it's still prone to expensive costs. Your car is more than just getting you from point A to point B. Traveling by car is a way of life. From picking up your kids to going to a new restaurant, cars are a daily essential. When you enroll in a car protection plan through CarShield, you can look forward to the following. The price will never go up no matter how many claims you file or no matter how high the mileage on your car increases. CarShield offers protection plans that start as low as $100 per month. That's $100 per month. They have repair coverage for up to 5,000 different parts of your vehicle. Plus, when your car breaks down and you're stuck on the side of the road, you get 24-7 coast-to-coast roadside assistance. You also get complimentary towing and rental car options. CarShield has my back when my car breaks down, and they can have yours too. Call CarShield today at 800-465-6550 or visit carshield.com. It's CarShield, proud sponsor of the Golf with Jay Delsing Show. Hi, this is Peter Jacobson, and you're listening to Golf with Jay Delsing. If you're in the market for a new or used vehicle, any maker model, then you need to visit the Dean Team Volkswagen of Kirkwood. They are the official vehicle provider of the Golf with Jay Delsing show. My daughter and I both drive vehicles supplied by Colin and the Dean Team Volkswagen of Kirkwood. And the reason we have them is because we know we can trust them. They made the car buying experience painless and very easy. Their customer service is second to none. They provided my daughter with a loaner car when her Passat needed repairs. Every single step of the car buying experience was taken care of for us. You can reach Colin at 314-966-0303 and he will answer all of your questions and put your mind at ease. The Dean Team Volkswagen of Kirkwood has new or pre-owned vehicles to be purchased or leased, whichever you prefer. Once you visit the Dean Team Volkswagen on Manchester and Kirkwood, you'll become a customer for life because they'll treat you like family. The Dean Team Volkswagen of Kirkwood, the official vehicle provider of the Golf with Jay Delsing Show. Auckland, Jay Delsing over there. Happy holidays to everyone, and hopefully you're having a great holiday season. This is our best of show. Some of the best interviews and visits that we've had throughout the year, and we'll be replaying those interviews throughout the next two hours. We hope you enjoy it. It's the best of Golf with Jay Delsing. It is our pleasure to welcome in eight-time winner on the PGA Tour and Jaybird, truly one of the great putters in the history of golf, and that is Brad Faxon. No, absolutely. Uh, not only a great putter, but a great human being. Fax, thanks so much for joining us this morning. I know we've been trying to do this for a long time, Jay. It, it's great to be on with you finally and uh, with a contemporary that maybe we think a lot alike in different ways and lots of daughters. So many people know you as being an eight-time winner on the PGA Tour, but also as one of the best putters the game has seen how did you become such a great putter on the pga tour you know everybody 
says to me, you know, after I've played for a long time, oh, you, you were lucky, you were a good putter. And, and it really offends me that phrase or that term of being lucky. I grew up in Rhode Island where I am now and, and was a, a caddy as a youngster at this Rhode Island Country Club, which is a, a cool course that had lots of movement, an old Donald Ross styled course. Um, and I, as a caddy, I, I was reading greens for members at 12, 13, 14 years old. And, you know, I think the best players in the world, the best putters in the world in particular, but this stuff kind of happens organically. You know, I wasn't taught to putt, I learned to putt. And I think there's a big difference there. Specifically, remember watching the putts of these members and, and seeing the dew line the ball made uh, the early Saturday and Sunday morning rounds. I visualized that all the time and seeing how much a ball broke, particularly at the end as it lost its speeds. You know, that was one way to do it. And I was, you know, not a, a kid that was given lessons. I was out on the golf course with, with my buddies and um, always playing golf. You know, we had that rule that we used to have that you came home and the street lights are on. It was a great way to, to learn to play the game. We had Curtis Strange on the show a couple of weeks ago, Andy North, and and even Tom Watson. And there's this common thread, because I know you and I grew up so much the same way, playing all these other sports, and so did they. And it's interesting how, you know, Hogan coined the phrase, dig it out of the dirt, but we did that, didn't really even know it. It was just like, we'd just do whatever we could do to kind of compete and have fun. When you spend your time outside, things kind of evolve. Isn't it funny? You know, if, if you looked at so many of the great players, they, they all did play different sports. They didn't play different sports so they would become better human beings or they would become more well-rounded or better golfers. They did it because they liked sport. You know, I, I was a, a guy that played a lot of different racket sports. I played squash. I played table tennis. You know, I played hockey and baseball like a lot of kids up here would have. Some of those little sports turned into be great eye-hand coordinations. They helped with short game, uh, learning club face control particularly table tennis. And you think about some of our great players today that were great short game players. And, you know, you talk about the Ryder Cup room and the table tennis, and you, you know, Phil Mickelson, Zach Johnson, Matt Kuchar was great tennis player, even Tiger. And, and I think there's something to that. And, and now maybe, I don't know if this is disappointing or just the way things change or changing. You see all these young kids now, they specialize so early and they don't get enough of this skill development, and I like to call it, early on. When I think about you and putting, and we played, gosh, hundreds of rounds together and uh, had so much fun playing. I, I can never remember a bad time when we were together. And and I sit there and think of watching Michael Jordan shoot a free throw or some of the greats do anything, Albert Pujols or, or even Stan Musial. There's a common thread, Fax, and these guys are relaxed. I see so many guys that don't putt well look like they're so uptight. If you listen to most of the great putters of all time and you go back and listen to someone like Ray Floyd, you know, they talked about being comfortable at address. Crenshaw, comfortable at address. Crenshaw in particular said he never tried to stay dead still, uh, where I think sometimes when you try and be still, it can tighten you up. So many of the great putters were, like you said, not only comfortable or relaxed, but they weren't overridden with swing thoughts. I, I, I think that, I don't know if this is the never-ending fault I see, but it looks like so many players are today, it looks like they're trying to read an instruction manual on how to do this. And, and I I certainly don't think there's any instruction manual on how to tell you to be great at this. Uh, I have a, a woman that has a son that wanted to come for lessons, and she goes, I want my son to spend two weeks with you in intensive putting training. And, and just that note got me scared. I go, what is that? <laughs> when you decided to, to make this a profession, and Jay mentioned earlier the great guests we've had on, 
they've all said, if I could do it differently, I would spend maybe 90% after my round on the putting green and 10% hitting balls after my round. Were you one of those guys that spent more time on your short game, your putting after a round, or were you one of those players that went and pounded balls after your round was done? Jay and I have talked about this. We're we're the only sport um, that practices uh, on a field that's different than the field of play. I I wasn't a guy that practiced too much. Now, this is going to sound terrible. I didn't practice putting much when I was at tournaments. Mm. When I I was I think you have to figure out like a great gambler has to feel out feel it out when they're at the casino are they comfortable leaving the table you know when you get up enough do you, do you keep going forward or can you walk away and I think for the best players in the world and I've talked to Rory McIlroy about this are you comfortable leaving the driving range you know do you, or are you always trying to figure something out and that's when I think when players get in trouble and when you're always trying to solve the riddle I think you're never complacent you're you're always trying to search and that search mode's not it can be a very dangerous thing at times you mentioned Ben Crenshaw was he one of your your biggest influences in terms of learning how to putt because of the things that he talked about with you. Did you apply that? And was he one of your, your big influences in that regard of the game? He was a huge influence. And I'll tell you how in, in the late eighties, he had already won his first masters. I was at the, the Disney world tournament. We played two courses back then, the Magnolia and the Palm. And it was a Tuesday afternoon. A friend of mine who was an instructor, Jay, you'd remember the name Gary Smith, an English guy used to work for Ledbetter, worked for ABC Sports as well. He had a video camera and desperately wanted to get Crenshaw's stroke on video. And and Crenshaw happened to be on the putting green on the Palm course. And I'm like, oh, boy. So he asked me to go up and ask Crenshaw if he could get videoed. And Ben was nice as he could be and and, um, said, sure, come on, get after it. And then Ben admitted to both of us unbelievably that he wasn't putting that well and i go what because I, w- I, I wouldn't have thought that first of all that he would ever not be putting great or that he would admit it to us through he said look i'm putting at it too much not through it and, you know that was kind of like hard to decipher what exactly does that mean he said and i said what do you do when you feel like that he goes well i try to like let my backstroke be longer than my follow-through which was kind of opposite of what we'd always heard and then he goes i try to allow or let my head and my knees move when i putt and then i think gary smith dropped the camera at the time (laughs) and 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 i'm saying allow i said so you don't worry about no he said the putting strokes a mini swing it's like a little tiny chip shot. There's not a lot of movement, but I don't ever try and freeze myself. And that just I, from I have I have some detailed statistics um, from when I was you know first starting the tour, and back then they were a little rudimentary. They were you know just putts per green in regulation or putts per round. But after that conversation with Crenshaw, and I think I'm pinpointing it for 1988, I believe, and my stats were I was kind of an average, maybe slightly better than average putter. And from almost that moment on, well, I hate to say sound like I never finished out of the top 20 in my career for another 20 years after hearing that. Jaybird, three times he led the PGA Tour in putting average. So pretty oh, good yeah. putter oh, right the, now. The, absolutely. And you know what's interesting, facts? The PGA Tour's got some, some places that can be real pitfalls for certain personality types. I know that if I hung out on the range too long or on the putting green too long, it didn't do me any good. And when I got myself out on the golf course, I was much better off. I was more kind of in the creative mode. I liked putting balls in the left rough and seeing if I could hook something around a tree and things like that. 
What do you think about that? I love that. I, I would say that I was always a player that was much better on the course than on the range. Even the week of the Masters, I would love to go out. and I, I'd be happier playing 18 or 27 holes a day than to just sit on the range and just beat balls and think about my golf swing. Um, I thought it was much easier to be more creative on the golf course to see the shots you would see in the tournaments. And that, and that was really good for me. When, when I started looking at swings on video, uh, that was a warning sign or a danger sign, uh, especially. You know, I, I wouldn't say that my way was the right way. Or it wasn't the right way for but, uh, Justin Rose or maybe a Victor Hovland. I, I can see lots of players doing a different style, but you have to find your way and you have to be happy with your way. So were there times though, Brad, that you had drills that you said, I'm going to do this every day there. And you mentioned being on the course is maybe being the best way to do this, to get creative, but there's always drills that you hear about, especially from the pros Were there drills that you were specific with. And you said, I've got to do this daily as part of my routine. You know, I, I don't even like to use the word, I hate to say this, I, I don't like to use the word drills. Just the, the connotation of the word drill is something that makes me feel like I'm in a dentist's chair typing <laughs> up. And, you know, and, you know, I, I kind of like uh, games or exercises. I, I don't know, you know, I did things early on, like hit 100 putts in a row from three feet or four feet. I, it seems like nobody does that anymore. They, they have all kinds of different gadgets out there that are trying to work with them. The importance of start line becomes critical to so many of them. And we didn't have any of those devices or gadgets. We, you know, we got very early on, we started maybe seeing chalk lines or little kind of boards that you could put the heel of your putter on. I think most of the stuff was really learning to do stuff on your own. And, and your, your question is there stuff that I had to do every day. I would say that but what I did the most consistently throughout my career was, you know, I would end my warm up on the on the practice screen by trying to hit some putts from around the hole, you know, the three or four foot or right to left, left, right, up or downhill, right, hit, hit those and really go through my full routine, lining up the putt, the ball down the way I like to see it on the course, you know, taking my practice stroke and going through that whole process. If I could do that, I knew that when I first got on the course, it wouldn't be the first time I felt that that day. If you get to the point where you're comfortable enough, you could hit those four putts before you go to the first tee and make one or two or three of them and still be happy and confident when you got to the, the range. And if I was going to really, I mean, I'm sorry, to the course, if I left the course, that was the, the feeling I wanted to leave is that my routine felt good. Nothing else was more important than that. I'd call it a rhythm that I like to feel as I, I left the course. And it, it didn't change much for a long period of time. I would add to that as a player, you would know sometimes when you got, and you know, we both used a lot of help from Bob Rotella, that when your head got in that right spot, your mechanics could improve without trying to improve your mechanics. To your point, Facts, when I played ba- uh, basketball, I couldn't wait to get a feel for that game ball to get because it never felt the same. Once I get a little sweaty, once I get a little adrenaline, I felt like I putted my best, and I watched you putt a lot and tried to emulate a lot of what you did, is I felt like there was this rhythm almost likened to you and I on a basketball court, and you're shooting and going around the key. I'm retrieving the balls for you, and I one bounce, you kind of step into that shot and let the ball go, and that's kind of how... I felt when I putted my best. I love the similarity in certain parts of certain sports with what I'd like to feel like and what you're describing on the putting green. If you could keep it instinctual, athletic, like a free throw shot or like getting a a pass off the pick, you know, 
a good tennis serve was similar to that where you had to start the ball in motion and start yourself from being still you know golf you're not reacting to something moving as you could get if you could get better as if the ball were moving how would you feel and and a lot of times i felt like my backstroke was already started and i don't know how it started putter had already moved before i knew what what had happened brad is there a guy and you're a commentator so we hear you all the time is there a guy that you watch now and you say Ooh, I'm going to watch that guy. He's a hell of a putter. I, I just love the way he goes about it. Is there somebody out there that you like to watch? You know, when you define the greatest putters or great putters, you know, they have to make a lot of putts, of course, that's obvious, but they, they have to do it, I would say, consistently over a period of time, not just one year. You know, I, I would have said Jordan Spieth and Jason Day were fantastic putters 2015, 2016. We, we never saw players make putts like they did. And, and the guy that seems to be showing up the most is this guy Danny McCarthy and you watch him and he looks free he looks athletic doesn't look scared when you're watching a player the, the, the true mark to me is when you see somebody when they're when they're not putting their best or playing their best but they're still they still have their composure together and you know I've spent the last five years talking about and working with Rory McIlroy he had finished outside unbelievably finished outside of the top 150 in putting three consecutive years and last year he finished 16th. And if, if you have the ability to hit it like Rory does and finish top 16 putting, nobody else has a chance. The part of the game around the greens, on the greens, the real artistry part, it's hard to find that player that has that mix, isn't it? That can can understand the hitting flaws and, and the, 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 the challenges of not being able to hit it all that great, but still shoot a score. It's kind of lost out there it really is you know there's another young kid young player really um, named taylor montgomery who's hitting his stride this year in particular it's funny you know you, you can look at his stats and see how good they are and one thing that's hard to do is if you just looked at a person's putting stroke and predict whether they're going to be great putters or not you know I, I would say for myself you know as i started to improve as a putter it's not like my stroke changed a lot you know kind of an indicator to me it's 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 really the technique isn't as important as the mindset the preparation the situational preparation and the attitude players could have you know how would you say when you look at jack nicholas's and the way he set up to the ball how crouched over he was bent over he was had him so far behind the ball you know it's something that wasn't a style that anybody copied or would copy and even crenshaw he was the opposite he was a little taller he was leaned way to the left. His shoulders were open. His eyes pointed to the right. His hands were way forward at his dress. It's not like those are copyable styles, but what they did worked for them. I, I just I love that about our sport so much, in particularly putting and, and trying to get that through to anybody that I talk to about the game, that you have to be satisfied yourself, not for somebody else. And that's that's a big trick at times. Brad, you mentioned visiting and and working with Rory McIlroy for three years. I can't imagine what it's like to be Brad Faxon around the tour these days and somebody probably daily coming up to you and saying, will you please, please help me with my putting? Please come to St. Louis, Fax. Please come. <laughs> I'm assuming that happens all the time. Well, it's a real compliment when it does. I've had a lot of nice phone calls. You know, When I got that call from Rory five years ago, I got nervous. You know, obviously, here's one of the best players in the world. I don't want to mess this guy up. You know, because of that, 
it's got me some popularity. You know, it's because he's improved, not because I'm a great instructor. He got better. I think a lot of times the teachers get too much credit and too much blame. I don't really travel out on tour. I, I don't think I have time to be the full-time putting instructor. But, you know, when you're talking to friends like you guys or, or to other players that are really trying to achieve at the highest level, it's, it's a real high uh, talking to other people about it. We would be remiss if we didn't talk a little bit while we have you on the show. And again, thanks for joining us about the great charitable work that you've done. The CVS Charity Classic with Tom Ryan and 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 Billy and just some of the other things. Talk to us a little bit about all the great work. I know you have your own junior golf foundation and some other things like that. Seems like, you know, every player, once they get out on the tour, they see each week what the tour does for the different charities and the communities where the events are played. These guys are good. You know, our slogans have been fantastic. The, the billions of dollars that have been raised. And I think it helps, Jay, when you grow up in a small place like Rhode Island, small towns like Andre and I did. You know, I'm in Barrington, Billy's in Bristol, 10 minutes apart. When we started, and it's funny you're asking me that now, it's about the 25th anniversary of um well it's more than that now it's sorry it's it's a 30th anniversary of the android facts and charities for children we started doing a a golf tournament for the meeting street school which is a school billy's brother had gone for underprivileged kids we kept that going for a long long time we've raised close to 10 million dollars we're having a big event this summer in in july here at, at billy's home for you know past owners and many of the celebrities that we've had playing our tournament and in the middle of our great run that's when CVS Pharmacy and Tom Ryan, you mentioned him, who was the CEO of the the company for so long. We kind of mimicked Peter Jacobson's event, the Fred Meyer Challenge, out in Portland, Oregon, and and started one here. And that went crazy for 20 plus years until COVID came along. We raised over, you know, very close to $25 million for all different kinds of charities in our state. So I hate to say, you know, we never really brag about it, but I mean, it's really been something remarkable we've been able to put together. And I, I, I think this game of golf is really the only sport in the world that seems to be able to put these athletes together, these celebrities together, the successful businessmen around. Everybody, it seems like, that has any kind of a heart wants to help out the needy. Uh, and we, in particular, went after children's charities here. I mean, it's hard to drive down the street here and not see some place or something that we we haven't had an impact to. And I think when you here in your final days, you know, you look at maybe all the great places you've gone or trophies you've won playing golf, but at the end of the day, the other things mean so much more, don't they? We've known each other forever. And to think about how fortunate we are and how this game that we both love and had no idea it was going to be such a charitable powerhouse. I mean, you talk about the PGA Tour raising billions of dollars, the work that you've done in Rhode Island and and in Florida and other places, tens of millions of dollars, and it didn't have to go this way. I mean, I had no idea when we got our cards. I think you got yours in 83. I think I got mine in 84 and had no idea that we'll be sitting here talking to one another too many years past thinking, look at some of the cool stuff that's happened. I I think the great thing is we didn't really try to plan any of that, Jay, did we? I mean, it just kind of happened. You travel this journey and, you know, you meet a a successful businessman. You have, we got lucky that CVS was one of the top 10 fortune companies and just happens to be in Rhode Island. It was an avenue to raise money, to to have fun, really. It was a good way for them to continue to do business with the, the suppliers at CVS. It was just something we never really, I don't know, we didn't 
I don't know. I don't, we probably dreamed of it, but we never put a timeline on how long that might last. And I think anybody else would have done the same thing. Brad, do you enjoy the uh, the commentary? Is that something that obviously keeps your hand in the game along with helping Rory McIlroy? But is uh, the commentary something that you enjoy as well? I have actually loved it a lot of different ways. You know, I like Jay played for so long on the tour, you know, 25 or 30 years of traveling around, you know, trying to raise daughters. Um, and I, I had gotten to the point where I, I just, I played a few years on the champions tour and said, I don't know if I want to play 25 weeks. It seems to be the same guys out there that <laughs> already beat me all the time. Anyway, or you guys that were more motivated, more motivated. And I, I think this was a different Avenue to go. And this year having this combination of doing some work for NBC and golf channel and sky sports, uh, some as an announcer, some as an analyst was just the right amount of work. Uh, it balances out with the amount of teaching that I'm doing very little bit of playing that I'm still doing and you know the other charitable work family stuff it's really rewarding you know what I what I remember facts when we were together at the Fox golf team was how hard you worked at getting next to the players trying to just get a little bit of a tidbit here or this that here there when you know these guys get into to competition and they get near the lead or something and you, you'll be able to draw on that and that comes through and the stuff you do and i think it really lends a lot to the broadcast i, I think you know everybody has a, a perspective that they can bring to the viewer um i learned early on at nbc my first year in 2010 that tommy roy our very emotional and extremely uh, talented producer don't don't say anything on TV that's <laughs> obvious to the viewer, you know. And it's so easy to just, hey, there's the shot, there's where it landed, and there's where it stopped, which you know the TV shows so well. And I think a lot of times you, you have to find, you know, talk to players, you know, what they're thinking, what their swings look like. I, I think one of the the added benefits to being around Rory is not only being around with the greatest guys in the world, uh, but one of the most talented players is. I think there's a, a, some respect from other top players. You know, a lot of times when you're in the media and, you know, you walk out in the range, players are just running away from the media. guys. <laughs> like, I don't want to talk to him. And, and I, I don't think I threaten those guys. Maybe that's something that's been a benefit from being with Rory. That, that's been a good thing. I played with Rory last week and he yeah, drives me by 80 yards. It's, it's, <sighs> it's nothing I've ever seen. You know, and I, and I think I'm I'm not one of these guys that the trees were bigger back when I played with the game <laughs> ru game's ruined. I think it's the coolest thing I've ever seen. Um, I, I still like being out there and, and learning every single day, and that's what it gets me out of bed. When I had Rory at Oakmont, I'd never seen anything like it. Honestly, facts, I thought he was skying his driver. His driver launches at at least 15 degrees, probably a little more now. And it's, it, in my opinion, he's the model driver as well as DJ can drive the ball and, and annihilate a golf course. Rory just seems to have that much more control. But I've never seen a ball flight like that, facts ever. No, it's funny you say that because I was playing with a couple of my buddies with Rory out of the Grove, you know, where he plays Michael Jordan's cool course. We watched him on the second hole. It's a it's a 379 yard par four. There's no wind, and, and we watched this tee shot go up in the air. You almost lose sight of it. It goes up. It, it's higher than any window you'd ever imagine. You know, we hit our shots, and you look 60 yards up there, 70 yards up there, and his ball was eight feet behind the pin. Wow. <laughs> he tapped it in for for a two, and you know, I have a 
78 yard sandwich coming in after a nice drive and i'm like what is going on it's just amazing and you know he's been he's a freak off the tee you know he's five nine or ten he weighs 170 maybe a little bit more than that um, but he's always had speed even when he weighed 150 pounds and, and some of that you're blessed to have some of it you improve upon having great technique you know when i played i looked at ways when i got on a tee that i didn't have to hit a driver he, he's got the driver the head cover off when he's on the hole before facts the drive he hit it i think it was this year down in it in, in um down in texas for the match play he drove it four feet from the hole on the 18th austin country club it's a pivotal hole in the match obviously when you get to the 18th hole in the match play and, and what was so cool for me is i was doing the broadcast that day with I was calling that tee shot, and it was um, I was with Steve Sands, and and when he hit the tee shot, you saw the tracer, and the tracer is a great innovation for golf broadcasting and viewers. And when that ball took off, it, you know you you could see the flight and see it right online from having watched, and it flew 350 yards. The front of the green was 349. It landed a yard on the green, and then it was like he was playing the break as it, as it came up onto that second tier. Rory's really become, in many ways, the face of the PGA Tour and been vocal about the benefits of the PGA Tour. And I think, Brad, we'd be remiss if, if we didn't ask you about LIV and, and some of these guys jumping. And you're obviously intimately, intimately involved with the PGA Tour. So what are your thoughts about these guys going to LIV? He has had a burden on his shoulders that I hope that other players other top players, and, and I think they will. You know, Justin Thomas has been very vocal. Um, I hope I uh, hope that John Rahm steps up, Scotty Scheffler, so that Rory doesn't have to be the only one doing this. I mean, the PGA Tour's response to this Live Golf Tour has, has been remarkable, what, what the Tour's put together so quickly for these players. And you, you see these leaderboards at these elevated events. It's, it's nothing like we've ever seen before except for major championships. And, and I, I think... If there were some way we could start this all over again, I would I would hope that the Saudis would have said, hey, look, we have a lot of money. We get, want to get involved in the game. But it always seemed to me that it wanted to be more of a, a hostile takeover. It didn't seem that they were trying to work friendly with us. And, you know, I, I would say if you went back to Greg Norman's idea back in the early 90s at the Shark Shootout, I believe it was 1994, you know, he, he had an idea to try and do some of these events, uh, seven of them. I was in the room there, and Arnold was there, Jack was there, Nick Price's best friend was there, and I'll never forget that day and how none of the players wanted to do it unless it had the blessing of Tim Fincham, the new commissioner at the PGA Tour. And, um, you know, Greg kind of walked away, and the next morning the paper said, Norman announces world golf idea and players unanimously agree. And I'm like, unanimously? They unanimously disagree. And I think he's had this vendetta against the tour for a long time. You know, he found this backing. And, and some of the players that are on the live tour have said to some friends of mine uh, that they play with that they're not sure whether there's going to be no live golf next year or if they're going to triple down and put another billion dollars into it. So it's interesting. It's really, really interesting. So appreciate your time. So appreciate the insights. Love listening to you. Love having you on the show, man. Best of luck in Rhode Island. I know there's some heavy life stuff going on, but, but hang in there. Appreciate you joining us today. You guys, that's too quick, too easy. Um, hopefully we can do it again a little bit later in the season. Do you remember the golden rule? I'm sure you do, but just in case it goes like this, treat people the way that you'd like to be treated. At People's National Bank, that one statement is the cornerstone 
of what this bank is all about. Locally owned with 23 locations in Southern Illinois and the metropolitan St. Louis area, People's National Bank parlays a robust menu of commercial or personal banking services you could possibly need with a friendly yet hardworking Midwestern attitude. Maybe you just wanna do business with a bank whose entire team lives in the same neighborhoods as we do. If you're like me and doing business with someone you trust is important to you, then People's National Bank is the bank for you. Jason Rantham, local president, is here for you to call and he'll answer any questions you may have. His personal cell is 314-974-2243. You can also find us online at peoplesnationalbank.com. People's National Bank is here for all of your banking needs. Hi, this is Adam Betts from Family Golf and Learning Center. At FGLC here in Kirkwood, we feature a double-decker driving range, two large grass tees with Tahoma Bermuda grass. You want to work on your short game? We have a short game area too, which features a 20,000 square foot green, three bunkers, and zoysia surrounds. Also at Family Golf and Learning Center, don't forget about our nine-hole par three course, the indoor trackman simulators, and our performance center. If you're looking for the best golf instruction, regardless of skill, we can help. Find out more at FamilyGolfOnline.com. That's FamilyGolfOnline.com. Family Golf and Learning Center. We make St. Louis better at golf. Okay, so you know Marcone is the largest distributor of GE parts in North America. Check. You know about their support for backstoppers, first responders, and our men and women in the military. Check that also. Well, here's their latest community venture. It's called Rees Across America. This year, Marcone will place 1,000 Christmas wreaths on the gravesites of our fallen military heroes in 10 different cemeteries around the country. From Dallas to Delaware, Western New York to Houston, New Jersey to right here at Jefferson Barracks. Each of these locations and more will have wreaths delivered and respectfully placed on a gravesite. Remember the fallen, honor those who serve, and teach the next generation the value of freedom. That's the mission of the Reese Across America program. So join the Golf with Jay Delsing show and Marcone and sponsor a wreath. Volunteer or partner with us to support our military. Saturday, December 16th is National Reese Across America Day. So get involved. That's Marcone and Reese Across America. Hey, St. Louis, Eddie McVeigh here from Maggie O'Brien's. When you head downtown for a concert or cards or blues game, and now for the St. Louis City soccer game, please come see us at Maggie O'Brien's before and after your event. Take our shuttle to and from or stay in-house and watch your favorite team on our multiple high-def TVs. We look forward to seeing you soon at one of our two locations in Sunset Hills on South Lindbergh or downtown at the corner of Market and 20th Street. Union Station is next to us. This is Chris Nagel. And you're listening to Golf with Jay Delsing. This is Golf with Jay Delsing. I'm Dan McLaughlin. Jay Delsing over there. Happy holidays to everyone, and hopefully you're having a great holiday season. This is our best of show. Some of the best interviews and visits that we've had throughout the year. And we'll be replaying those interviews throughout the next two hours. We hope you enjoy it. It's the best of Golf with Jay Delsing. The winner of two U.S. Opens, 1978, 1985. And if you watch any golf, you're going to find Andy North on the telecast or working for ESPN. Hey, Andy, thanks for joining us. We certainly appreciate it. Well, it's a pleasure. Thank you. I can remember 1985 was my rookie year on the PGA Tour, and you win in the U.S. Open at Oakland Hills. 
that golf course, that event was absolutely a war, wasn't it? That place was a beast. Well, it's, it's always been a really difficult golf course, and they've they've gone through a remodel there over the last few years, and it's it's absolutely gorgeous. You know, it's always been a great major venue because of the difficulty, and you know, you stumble around, and no one no one ever plays great at places like that. It's about sort of finishing, and you know, that's kind of what it looked like. You know, it's like at the end of a NASCAR race. There's you know, a whole bunch of people had a chance, and somebody stuck their nose in front at the end and that was how it happened you know andy you're so humble but i got i played an open and I, I have not done nearly as well as you have but it takes such toughness and and such mental strength doesn't it to not let the golf course completely overwhelm you and beat you to death well i think the biggest thing there knowing it going in you know it's going to be a tough week i i love those kind of conditions i really enjoyed looking forward to playing at a u.s open and i felt like i had a much better chance there than a lot of guys because i embraced it you know i used to love to walk through the locker room and guys about how deep the rough is or the greens are ridiculous or this or that you just walk through and you know kind of smile and move on and, you know, because you felt like you had probably two-thirds of the guys beat before you even started. And to me, that was always fun. Andy, was interesting. We had Curtis Strange, also two-time winner of the U.S. Open on our podcast. And while he was close to winning a Masters, same thing as you, he said it was more important to win a U.S. Open because it is our national tournament and anybody can qualify. So it's not just being invited to the Masters, but also you look at the Open, anybody can win it. So was that more meaningful for you to win a pair of U.S. Opens as opposed to any other tournament that uh, is offered on the PGA Tour? Yeah, it was. I from the time you were a junior player, the USGA Junior was the most important tournament. Then as an amateur, the USAM was the most important tournament. I I always embraced USGA golf. I loved what they were trying to ask uh, out of a player. And to be your national champion is, you know, extra special. Andy, I don't think there was a day that went by when I was a little kid on this really lousy Muni golf course that I grew up with with my mom's clubs that I didn't have a putt to win the U.S. Open. It was always I wanted to be the best player in the U.S. Yeah, I think I, I can remember as a kid the same sort of deal that you'd be sitting in the put putting green waiting for you know a ride home at night you're hitting five footers and this is when the u.s open to beat arnold this is when the u.s open to beat jack you know those are the kind of things that we all strive for and that was the term we all knew about because it was your national championship so andy growing up in wisconsin how did uh, a cold weather place and a cold weather guy wind up being a golfer that goes to florida become a, a all-american you have an incredible uh, career at florida and you're a hall of famer there but looking back on it how does a kid from wisconsin become one of the best golfers in the nation you know i think Growing up in a place where you didn't play, you know, every day all year long was a benefit. I think that, you know, you played other sports, you got away from the game, you you had a chance to grow as an athlete and a person, and not just as a golfer. Uh, and you know, as Jake knows, growing up where he did, that you know, you go and play golf when it's 48 degrees and it's windy and rainy and whatever, because it's the time you only have so many days in the year that you can. And I think that helped me. And you, you look back at some of the tournaments that I played well in, a lot of them were really bad weather. 
you know, you, you understood how to try to deal with it. And so many of our great bad weather players are guys that grew up in the north. I mean, you think about Watson, you think about Nicholas, you know, they, they weren't from Southern California or Florida. I think it was an advantage in some ways. Andy, I almost felt like it made us hardier because I can remember right around the fall time of the year on tour, the BC Open was kind of the first week we'd get cold weather. And I always love putting that sweater on. And to your point, and this is a much lower level than the U.S. Open, but walking through that locker room, man, the guys were bitching a lot about it's too cold, the ball's not going to go anywhere, and I thought, bring it on, man. This These guys are going to roll over and die, and, and I have less people to try to beat. Yeah, I agree. I, I think that, you know, you can look at it, and I found it interesting when I did go to school in Florida, you'd have those days where fronts would go through, and it'd be 50 degrees, and Maybe the wind's blowing 15 or 20. It wasn't the most perfect day to go play golf. And a lot of the guys from down there didn't go play. You know, well, it was a cold day. It's going to be a nice day tomorrow. So why should we go do this? So I think all in all, it probably helped you mentally. It maybe made you a little bit tougher. Um, maybe it was easier to deal with those kind of conditions when you got them in a tournament. Uh, but all in all, you know, it was a great, great place to grow up. Andy, I, I look at the PGA Tour now, and I look at, and I mean, you were on tour for years and years before I even got on there, but I look at the way it was back in the middle 80s. I mean, other than really great golf being played, it, it doesn't really resemble much of the same stuff. I mean, you look at the a putting green, and it looks like you have villages camped out there now with all the tech and all of the, you know, the club manufacturers and just the, the boom in golf is just amazing to watch. Yeah, it's changed. Uh, it is it is called the same sport, but it's, it's so different. Uh, the equipment has changed dramatically. The agronomy has changed so dramatically. I mean, some of the fairways now are better than greens that, you know, we grew up in <laughs> on playing. Open Championship of St. Andrews, the last couple of times it's been there, the fairways literally were faster than the greens. So they're, they're able to do things now that the ball goes further, but at the same time, the the fairways are cut in such a way that if you get the ball in the fairway, it's going to run another 30 or 40 yards. So, you know, there's been a lot of differences, but you still got to figure out how to get in the hole and you still have to be, you know, figure out how not to beat yourself. And these guys go about it a little bit differently, but they're awfully good at what they do. You know, Andy, one of the things that I can remember so vividly, my I think it was my rookie year on tour, I was... Over, we were playing the Anheuser Busch Golf Classic in Williamsburg, Virginia, and you had your wife Susan and your two girls with you, and we were at the park. And you told me the girls only want me to be here because of my wallet. And you were walking a little behind the girls. And I just remember some of the stories and the fondness of the intimacy of of the tour. I remember the wives because there weren't a lot of opportunities to have daycare and all of this developed all of the developed things that they have on tour now where the wives were actually, you know, if if you were having a good day or a good tournament, a lot of the wives would get together with your wife and say, hey, we'll watch the kids go out and, you know, see if you can, you know, catch a few holes and things like that. There was something really charming and for whatever reason, the word romantic comes into my mind, but I, I really loved that part of it. Yeah, I agree. I think that, you know, when and you started 12, 15 years after I did, the fact that so many people drove and the fancy hotels we stayed in were those horseshoe holiday inns with the swimming pool in the middle. 
and there'd be there'd be 15 grills out going at night and kids running all over the place. Uh, you know, our kids were, I think, really lucky that they had their tour friends and they had their friends at home. You know, I think that was great. And as you're saying, people looked out after each other. I remember Lou Graham had his daughters are a little bit older than most of the kids in our generation. And they decided they're going to babysit all these kids. And they came up with this great idea that the two of them could babysit all these kids together. And they had like 10 or 12 of them one day. And, you know, basically they were tied to a chair when everybody got home. You know, <laughs> kids took over. Uh, but it was, you know, it was, it was fun. And it was a different environment than, than it is now. But, you know, I'm sure that these guys will look back 25 years from now and think, you know, that was pretty cool. We had a lot of great friends and whatever, but it's just different. You're fabulous on TV, and I wanted to compliment you on that. You, you have a calm demeanor. You teach the game. You're fair to the players. How did that all come about for you, starting with ESPN in 1992 uh, to becoming one of the top analysts that the, the sport has right now? Well, I think, first of all, none of us are trained for it. I was struggling physically in the the early 90s and I had a chance to work at Quad Cities. Gary Koch had fallen and broken his leg at the Canadian the week before. They were looking for somebody and I wasn't playing very well and stumbling around. They said, would you mind trying this? And I did it and you know, that was you know, that was kind of fun. They asked me to do it at the end of the year and I, I turned them down the first time because I thought I'd, I was going to have yet one more operation and go ahead and try to rehab and see if I come back and play. The next year, they asked again. We sat down and figured, what the heck? You know, can, I can go out there and maybe I can give my body a year off and give it a chance to heal up and try it and see what happens. And, you know, it's 32 years ago. So still, I still take, tell people I don't have any idea what's going on. But, you know, they put something <laughs> up on the, on the screen and you talk about it. I've always tried to be fair. I think that's the most important thing. I mean, everybody hits crummy shots. They're not trying to hit crummy shots explain maybe why it happened is way more important than just tell them that they're terrible. To me, it was, it's been always important that for me to bring information to the viewer, I have to have access to the players. And if if you rip them all the time, you're not going to have access to them. I think that part was important. I couldn't believe it. And you don't remember this, but I do. I was down in the U.S. Virgin Islands for the Paradise Jam. Wisconsin is playing in that. And for folks that don't know, it's a basketball tournament. And I look over, I'm doing the TV, and Wisconsin's on the floor, and I see Andy North. And I'm thinking, what is he doing calling college basketball as an analyst? So are you doing a lot of that, or how did that all come about? Well, I'm a fanatic Wisconsin fan and been around the program for 30, 40 years. Not just basketball, but you know, all the sports there have been really, really involved over the years. It's been a lot of fun. The same two guys, Matt LaPay and Mike Lucas, do both football and basketball for the Badgers. They've been the radio guys for literally 35 years. They do a fabulous job. There's always a, those, usually it's the Thanksgiving tournament that everybody goes to, Hawaii, Virgin Islands, wherever it might be, that they're doing a basketball game on Saturday, usually the last football game of the season. I've filled in some years, I might do as many as five games, depending on the schedule. And some years I might do one or two, but it's it's a lot of fun. I probably get a little carried away. I've gotten to know the refs by first. So when guys screw up, I make sure that people know that it was a horrible call by Ted Hillary or whoever it happened to be. <laughs> so, um, no, it's been it's been an awful lot of fun, and it's fun being around the kids. It helps you keep you younger. You keep mentioning fun, 
And that is such a huge component for me, too. And I can remember we were playing in the Byron Nelson down in at Las Colinas, and that golf course is one of the weirder courses we'd play because it's kind of a, a compilation of four or five courses that have been thrown together over the years. But you and I were out there playing one day, and we played cross-country golf from, I think, the seventh tee to over. And, it, I, I mean, we walked, I think one hole was probably two and a half miles long. We were hitting shots you were showing me. And I just came off of that day with such an appreciation for what this game was. It, it showed a different light. Here's a two-time U.S. Open champion showing me how to have fun in a practice round and also work on my game at the same time. Well, I think it has to be fun. You know, I mean, I think we've got a 12-year-old granddaughter now, now that's playing some of the travel volleyball and, and basketball and that kind of stuff. And it's it's fun to see those kids have fun and not you know, sometimes the parents at that level get a little squirrely and it's, you know, sometimes the coaching gets a little bit out of control. It's been fun to see her with some really good coaches that, you know, she's learned an awful lot. And, and it's and it is about fun. If you're not having fun doing this, what should you be doing? And I think so often you get in the grind of the tour and it's the same week after week after week. If you don't have some ways to, you know, practice differently or change up the routines or you know, some of those things, it really gets to be where it's work. And if once it gets to be where it's work, generally your performance doesn't uh, doesn't equate. Andy, you were on the, the coverage of the Masters. You're there every year. I don't know about you, and I'm sure it was the case for a lot of uh, average golf fans or those that are tied into it on a daily basis. And I'm going to ask you this. How tough was it to watch Tiger kind of stumble around the golf course, and you've seen him in his prime to seeing what's happening now. How tough was that for you to watch what happened with Tiger Woods? One, I think it's absolutely amazing what he's been able to do. Uh, I think people, it, it's lost on some, what he has to do just to go out there and try to play golf. I really appreciate the level of uh, work that he's had to put in just to be able to walk around and, and be able to try to play. For him to make cuts at majors has been amazing. He's been so unlucky with the weather. Once it gets like it was there, he has no chance. But, I mean, a, a normal morning, if he's got a 10 o'clock tea time, he starts his rehab at 4 in the morning and, and working with the trainers to get him where his body just is going to work. You know, obviously his leg is a horrible problem, but he's, you know, you forget all the other things he's had happen. That he, You know, he's got to work on his back. He's got to work on his other knee. He's got to work on, you know, all this stuff just to get somewhat ready to play. It's hard to watch I think I actually said on air that, you know what, he's proved all he needs to prove that he doesn't need to go out there and try to finish this out in 40-degree rainy weather. And I was happy that he did decide not to. You know, you got to really appreciate the work and the pain and everything he's going through to try to at least go out there and compete. Now, on the flip side, tied in with Tiger for so many years, is Phil Mickelson. How impressive was that to watch at his age doing what he did at the Masters uh, very recently? It was just amazing for so many people to watch it. What was your opinion of seeing Phil? Phil has this amazing ability that he, he drives in to, through gate three and goes at Magnolia Lane, and all of a sudden something clicks with him. You know, He's got so many great memories at that golf course. He still physically can get the ball around uh, lengthwise. He understands what he's trying to do. Short game fits exactly what you need to do there. But yet still, at 52 or 3, it's amazing how well he did play. 
but it's a place that I think he's going to be like Fred Couples. He'll play well there once in a while over the next 10 or 12 years, probably. Andy, in your position, you're supposed to be unbiased, but I am curious about this. Who's the player right now on the PGA Tour that privately, in your heart, in your mind, you'd love to watch him for the 18 holes? He catches your attention. He garners the attention of Andy North. Who, who is that player right now? I think there's a handful of them. I think the three guys at the top that were the favorites last week, Rory's fun to watch, Rahm's fun to watch, Scheffler's fun to watch. They all do it a little bit differently. I love watching JT play because he, I think he works the ball as well as anybody that we've got right now. He spent a lot of time with Tiger, and Tiger basically told him that for to be a great player, you got to learn to hit some more shots. And he does. He's fun to watch on windy days. You know, there's a lot of different ways to do it. Jordan Spieth, another great week last week. He does it differently. It's fun to watch JT and Jordan hit wedges. You know, they're they're both really turned themselves into great wedge players. How hard Rom goes at it now, and how far Rory can hit it. There's some some weeks it works, and some weeks it doesn't. But it's still fun to watch him. Andy, for somebody that got to to play against Jack in his prime and Arnold and and and, and the great players of the game, a guy like Tiger comes out. He's not going to go down historically as the best player ever because Jack's going to have more majors and things like that. But there's a story to be told that how important it is to manage yourself off the golf course. But I don't think I ever have seen anyone like Tiger with more aces in his bag, so to speak, Andy, and his winning percentage. Have you thought much about that, comparing Tiger to Jack and, and some of their records and things like that? That's one question I get asked quite a bit about, you know, who is the best of these two? And my answer is, I don't know who is the best, but if they're playing across the street, I'd pay money to go watch them play. <laughs> yeah, same. And I, would, I, and I wouldn't do that for many others. And, and if you look at their games, their history, it's very, very similar. I mean, they both came on tour and just dominated with length. And then people started catching up with them, and they were able to dominate other ways. Tiger's short game early in his career, much, much better than Jack's chipping, pitching, bunker shots. Because basically, Jack never had to do that. He hit it so far back then, and the courses weren't as, as long, and he basically had driver wedge. He's playing the game back in the 60s, very similar to how the young guys are playing now. You just you beat it out there a mile and you hit it on there with a wedge. Why, why chip and putt? Why have to chip and hit pitch shots? Because you never have them. Jack was an unbelievable tiger, unbelievable putter. Maybe the arguably the two best pressure putters we've ever had. They both were talked about and couldn't drive their golf ball as well as they needed to, but both of them could when they needed to. You know, If they had to put in the fairway, they usually did some way jack figured in both both tiger and jack both figured out it might be a three wood it might be a two iron it doesn't matter i mean i i had the the great fortune of walking every single shot tiger hit at, at hoy lake that year when he won the open championship where he hit one driver just the greatest precision exhibition of golf i've ever seen to have played with jack and been around tiger so much they they're just a different animals and i think both of them sort of ruined the expectations of the game for so many other players coming after him because the guy thought if he didn't win three or four times a year, he wasn't a very good player. Well, you know, you win once a year, you play 20 years, you're a Hall of Famer. It's it's hard to win out there. And when, when guys do it five, six, seven, eight times a year, 
that's ridiculous. The thing that stands out to me is they were at a, di- especially for me, they were at a def- different level mentally. They seemed to be able to get into this mode mentally for for Tiger forget because I didn't get to watch Jack too I got to play with him but not in his prime when watching Tiger Andy I felt like he'd seen this movie already I felt like he had seen him him do himself doing this before and to me the mental strength especially with all the chaos that was going on in his personal life was just amazing you know Tiger had a, a great person to study and it was Jack I, I truly believe if there'd have been somebody out in front of Jack that had won 25 majors, he'd have won 25 majors. I think that he would have done whatever it needed to be to get there. You know, where Tiger's kind of the same way that if he'd have stayed healthy during the last 10 or 12 years, I thought that he'd win 25 majors in 100 tournaments minimum when he got going. Uh, it was just so much fun to watch him play. And I think that those two guys are the two strongest mentally that I've seen. You know, a guy like a Watson or a Floyd or, you know, they were in that same kind of category that they could get in that space. But, you know, Tiger and Jack did it for 15 years. You know, there's been a lot of guys that could do it for one or two, but not many that could do it for any length over three or four years. Andy, with your time in, in TV, I'm curious about this, and you've seen the game change and how it's covered, and now players are getting mic'd up in the middle of rounds. We saw that at the Masters in your opinion, what can we do to advance television for the average fan to bring them into being the golf fan that never misses a round, always wants to watch, and innovations with television and how it's covered? Is there anything that you'd like to see or bring into the viewer for those that watch on TV? Well, I think I think we got to be careful not get to the get to the point where it turns into a circus. I thought the interviews were amazing, but I personally probably wouldn't have done it. You know, these kids look at things differently than we all did. I think one of the things in the last two or three years, and, and this is a little bit of a self-promotion, but I think it's been really great for game, and that's the PGA Tour Live and ESPN Plus where it's on. You can basically produce and direct whatever you want. You know, do I want to watch these holes? Do I want to watch this group? Do I want to watch like a, a regular uh, coverage of, you know, all the, all the groups and holes? So I think you, you can watch your favorite player hit at least two or three shots somewhere during the course of the day based on either on these, you know, the holes that they're covering or whatever. And I think that really has changed things that, you know, if, if a guy you want to watch is playing at 730 in the morning, it's going to be on. You can find, you know, he's going to be one of the featured groups. I think that's just been amazing. I love that featured group option also. Andy, one of the things that dawns on me, especially compared you know, there just wasn't any money and any attention in the game really back in yours and my generation. But these kids are all their own brands, you know, and they have these teams behind them where yoga instructors and cooks and, you know, social media specialists. And I, you know, I'd much rather have dinner with you in the back of some restaurant without taking a picture of my steak and just talk golf. But, you know, it's just a different world now. You're, you're starting to sound like an old guy. Jay. <laughs> I'm there, man. I'm there. Get off my lawn. Yeah, it's, a, it's, yeah. it's a, it's a completely different world. And that's what it is. And these guys have embraced the social media world and because of it, they've been able to 
you know, it's been very lucrative for them in a lot of ways, but it also can get guys in trouble if they're not careful. Um, you know, so you got to be careful on how you handle it. But at the same time, you, you got to love, you know, what they've been able to create. And, you know, they, they're doing it well. And the top guys are are, are terrific at it. I, I love Scotty Scheffler to death because you're a guy who's in the last two years has had amazing success. He's driving the same car he had in college. He's living in the same house he lived when he first started. Uh, he, he doesn't. I think I think he has a flip phone. I'm not a hundred percent sure, <laughs> but I think he does. I've never seen a social post by him in any way. You know, he does business and plays golf, and you know he's having a great time doing it. Andy, we'd be remiss if we didn't ask you about LIV and and get your thoughts on what's happened with the game. Jay and I talk about it a lot and the fact that everybody is talking about golf. So in a way, that's a good thing. But uh, what are your thoughts on these players that have left the tour, the PGA Tour, and gone to LIV? Well, I think, first of all, the fact that this happened, I have not liked. But at the same time, it's probably been very beneficial to the ball players. You want to change businesses or companies you work for and you go to another place, that's great. That's your option. I mean, I think that if a guy wants to go play, I don't have a problem with that. I think that's uh, his his option to be able to do that. Uh, but once you do that, you can't come back and work for the same company you worked for before. I don't have a problem with them leaving. I have a problem with them thinking they should be able to come back and play tour events. Because of this, it's it's changed what they're doing on tour. And obviously, it's going to be a whole bunch more money for the players. So, you know, I think it's probably a win-win in a lot of ways. Um, I'm not a big supporter of live, but that doesn't mean it's right, wrong, or indifferent, you know? So, but once, once you make that decision, you're working for another company as far as I'm concerned. Hey Andy, you've been so gracious with your time and on the insight and the past, the present and LIV and all these different things that we've thrown at you. We can't thank you enough. Love your work on television and hopefully we catch up uh, sooner rather than later. Powers Insurance and Risk Management is a family-owned local business that's been helping our community for over 200 years. In the always confusing world of insurance, Powers Insurance provides clarity, exceptional service, and the latest in cutting-edge products to deliver the highest quality in property and casualty coverage, as well as strategic planning consultation services. Powers Insurance and Risk Management will partner with you That's right, partner with you to customize the right coverage for you and your family. Tim Davis, the Chief Operations Officer, will personally sit down and talk you through the ins and outs of your policies. They are experts at helping you control your workplace expenses and helping to guarantee the safety of you and your employees and their needs. You can visit them at powersinsurance.com. That's powersinsurance.com for all of your insurance needs. For the best in Italian cuisine in St. Louis, look no further than Paul Mano's, located in Chesterfield. It's traditional Italian cooking, and their best ingredient, it's their tradition. It's cooking like Paul's grandmother used to make and like his mother still prepares today. There are no corners cut at Paul Mano's, from greeting you at the door to the pasta you'll share with your family. Paul Mano's is committed to bringing you their very best anytime you share a meal at their place. It's Paul Mano's located in Chesterfield. Hey, this is Jay Delsing. 
and we golfers are always looking for ways to improve our games. For me, that means I want the very best and the very latest in equipment and in technology. The place for me is Pro-Am Golf in Brentwood. Tom DeGrand opened Pro-Am Golf Center in 1975, and ever since then, he and his family have provided St. Louis with the finest in golf equipment, instruction, and the latest in the ever-changing world of golf technology. Whether you are a scratch golfer looking to find the latest in range finders, or a newcomer looking to find your first set of clubs, Pro-Am Golf has just what you're looking for. You say you're looking to get yourself custom fitted for a new set of clubs, you need to call TJ. He has fit me personally and he is the best in town. If you mention my name, CJ will take 50% off the already low fitting price. So if you need anything from golf balls to a new pair of shoes or a lesson from Tom, who by the way, has been helping St. Louisans play better golf for over 45 years, Pro-Am Golf in Brentwood is the place for you. You can also visit them at ProAmUSA.com. That's Pro-Am Golf. Hello, friends. This is Jim Nance, and you are listening to Golf with my friend, Jay Delson. Redbird Heating and Cooling sponsors the Veterans Vocational Apprenticeship Program. Jed, the CEO and former Marine, will teach, mentor, and sign off on educational and mechanical work hours to help you get fully licensed while you work and get paid by the company. What a great way to launch your career as a fully licensed HVAC specialist. Visit RedbirdHVAC.com. That's Redbird Heating and Cooling. Hi, this is Adam Best from Family Golf and Learning Center. You're listening to Golf with Jay Delsing. Hey, this is Jay Delsing for SSM Health Physical Therapy. Our golf program has the same screening techniques and technology as the pros on the PGA Tour use. SSM Health Physical Therapy has the Titleist Performance Institute trained physical therapists that can perform the TPI screening on you as well as use the KVEST 3D motion capture system. Proper posture, alignment, etc., can help you keep your game right down the middle. We have 80 locations in the St. Louis area. Call 800-518-1626 or visit them on the web at SSMPhysicalTherapy.com. Your therapy, our passion. This is Golf with Jay Delsing. I'm Dan McLaughlin. Jay Delsing over there. Happy holidays to everyone, and hopefully you're having a great holiday season. This is our best of show. Some of the best interviews and visits that we've had throughout the year, and we'll be replaying those interviews throughout the next two hours. We hope you enjoy it. It's the best of Golf with Jay Delsing. It's been exciting for me, Jay. Um, I, uh, uh, as you know, I mean, I, I, uh, I've covered all four majors. Um, I've done the Ryder Cup, the President's Cup. I've done the Olympics. I've done all the playoff events. Um, you know, I played on, on both sides of the Atlantic and around the world. It was really, you know, the logical place for me to go. I mean, I've done everything else. And uh, it's been a really exciting trip, you know, so far. I feel like we've been on a kind of a pirate ship. You know, for a while, but we've got the wind in our sails. And, uh, you know, it's an opportunity for me to be lead analyst. And, and to do uh, some things that, uh, you know, I haven't been able to do uh, over, over the last, you know, 28 years in broadcasting. 
And that's saying a lot, bud, because, I mean, besides being an accomplished player, and I know you've made fun of your career most of your life, but you're a hell of a player. Nowadays, golf has just become, I don't know, I don't want to say stagnant, but when you take Tiger Woods out of the mix, like unfortunately has been happening, it just doesn't do the same for everybody, does it? Well, I think from uh, 96 when he showed up, he, you know, I mean, every now and then uh, someone comes along who changes the game. And, uh, you know, he uh, he's responsible for the standard of play that, that we see these days. Uh, you know, it, the, it's phenomenal uh, the way that these kids play the game. They're so much better than we used to be. Um, uh, you know, so not having Tiger is, you know, uh, you know he's, he's getting on, you know, it uh, makes me feel, you know, I'll be 65 next time. Um, and... Uh, but you know we we have tremendous players out there, um, and I, I just hope that we can uh, get to a place you know where all the best players in the world can play together again. Uh, you, you know that's that's my eventual hope for this. You know, David, there's so many people though that miss seeing you every Saturday, or they miss your show. Now they're going to be able to see that with Live, and I guess the question would be, why did you why did you jump to Live? Was it is simply money? Was it the opportunity? Was it a change of scenery for you? What was it for, for David Faraday? You know, it was an opportunity to do something different, um, uh, to be a lead analyst, you know, for the first time in my career, um, and, you know, to be involved with, the, you know, the development of, of uh, you know, the game in a different format. Um, I, uh, I've been in this, this game for 50 years now, um, you know, traveling, uh, around the world and you know I've been in the United States for nearly 30 years now and um, it was really the logical place for, for me to go uh, you know because I, I felt like I'd done everything else. Do you like to be interviewed or do you like to be the guy that you know what you get to interview the other person? What's more fun for you? I, I think you know the interviewing um, you know, for me, I, I kind of miss my show uh, that was uh, on the golf channel for 10 years. Uh, but we're, we're going to re, uh, revamp that and right. do a show with Liv. Um, that's, uh, it's going to be more of a travel log, but we're, you know, hoping to get that uh, on the air you know, in, in the coming months. So, uh, yeah, I always enjoyed the interview part of it. Who's been the best one that you interviewed? You sat down a guy and you went, holy smokes, that was unbelievable. You know, I had so many holy smokes moments. Um, it, uh, and I interviewed more than 160 people. Wow. Uh, every time I, uh, every time I, I, I think uh, of someone that was amazing, like a Bill Russell, who, uh, you know, he just changed my, my attitude. You know, he, he affected my life. Just the two days that I, I spent with Bill Russell. Condoleezza Rice, well, what an extraordinary human being, uh, uh, you know, and to be able to spend time with her. And, and then there, there were, you know, the actors, you know, Matthew McConaughey and Sam Jackson and Don Cheadle, and, um, the comedians, you know, George Lopez. Uh, and, uh, uh, you know, it, it just uh, Tom Watson, who changed my life. You know, he's been a big brother to me um, over over the last, you know, 15, 20 years. Um, it's been, uh, it, it was an amazing ride. It really was. Uh, Jack Nicholas, you know, who fished me out of the Indian River. Um, uh, oh, boy, there's just too many to even think about. 
David, what one of the things, and, and I so enjoyed your interviewing, but one of the things that will never leave my mind is what Bill Russell said to you when you said, what sort of advice would you give to, an, uh, I think you said, a, a young athlete coming into their sport? And, and, you know, I was spending some, you know, kind of a long, um, you know, piece of, uh, you know, sports advice or, or uh, you know, career you know, changing advice or whatever. And he just, he looked at me and he scratched the sort of stubble and his gray chin while he looked, he said, be kind. And, you know, the, the two most important words maybe in the English language are, are be kind. And, you know, with the atmosphere that we've got uh, these days in America, and not just in America, believe me, I've just been in the UK and, and it's, uh, there are a lot of people waiting around every corner you know, hoping to, to be a, uh, offended by something. Um, you know, I, I think if you're just, if you're just, yeah, if you're, we're being held ransom by, by a bunch of mean spirited, uh, you, you know, people with no sense of humor, our sense of humor has been kidnapped because you can't make fun of anybody anymore. You know, everybody's too sensitive. Well, you know, if you're just kind to, to the next person that you see, you know, and, and if that's your attitude, you know, uh, all of a sudden every problem disappears. Uh, and, you know, and Bill Russell just put it perfectly in two words for me. You uh, are amazing in terms of interviewing and you understand television and you understand how to bring the viewer in in sports television. So I'm curious, in, in being a lead analyst now with Liv, how are you going to try to change, if you can, viewership for the golf fan out there and bring them in and maybe bring a non-golf fan in and make them a fan of golf by being a lead analyst with Liv? What, what can you do to change the viewership, if you, if you know what I'm trying to say here, and make it a little bit different than what we've been yeah, seeing uh, you know, the last 10 or 20 years? Well, I think it's the tendency for, for lead analysts all over you know, to uh, try to you know, to uh, not protect, you know, that's probably the wrong word, you know, but uh, be less than honest, if you like, you know, when they're, when they're talking about, uh, you know, players and, and, you know, what they may be thinking and, uh, you know, what may be affecting the way that they're playing. Uh, you know, I, I'm hoping just to be flat out, you know, dead straight honest. And uh, I'm, I'm hoping that players won't mind. <laughs> I, but guys, get, but David, you um, know, guys get pissed. You've been yeah. in that spot. They get pissed off when you do that. Oh yeah, yeah, they do. You know, every now and then you will. Uh, but uh, I really only ever had a had a problem, you know, with with uh, with Monty <laughs> <laughs> when it, when it came to that. You know, because hey, if if I make fun of someone, you know, it's not, it, it's not their reaction. You know that 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 really matters. It's um, well, sorry, it is their reaction that matters, uh, and you know if they're offended by it, you know you, you being offended is something that you choose to be. You know you have to choose to be offended. You know it's not like somebody sticks a knife in you. Oh, that hurts. You know you have to think of it one way or the other. You know should I let that offend me or should I actually run with it? And you know by your reaction, that's how you'll be judged by everybody else. You know, so I'm in the elevator. Um, uh, this is a few months ago. Uh, I can't remember where it was. I think it was in Tampa. And uh, I, I, I'm in the elevator by myself, and it stops 
uh, on like the fifth floor on the way down to the lobby and the door is open and it's the biggest man I have ever seen in my entire life. The, the elevator door is open. You couldn't see all of them. This guy had to weigh 600 pounds, you know, and uh, he, he, you know, sidles, he almost had to turn sideways to get into the elevator, you know, and I move into the back, whatever he gets in, and you can just hear the cables taking the strain, you know, when he get in, and he turned and looked with a dead straight face and said, are we going down? I said, we fucking are not. (laughs) And he, and, and he, but, but he laughed. He laughed, you know, and I immediately wanted to throw my arms. I wanted to throw my arms halfway around him, you know. Um, oh, my God. It, uh, you know, th- those are the people in life that you love, you know, where, I mean, the guy could have punched me in the mouth, you know, and I, I would have thought less of him. And those, I mean, he laughed, and, we, we, you know, we had a chat on the way down, and uh, he's a great guy, you know, an amazing person underneath all of that that stuff and i have great empathy for people who are overweight um i had a gastric bypass surgery uh years and years ago otherwise i'd weigh you know 350 um and it's the it's i have empathy for people who are have that addictive personality as well Uh, i mean food is is the hardest uh addiction to kick because it's unlike any other drug um you have to use it you have to use a certain amount of it, you know, so I, I think it's probably, you know, harder to kick than meth or, or heroin. David, one of the things that you said that is so true about playing on the PGA Tour is that the guys out there, when they find your soft spot and the, and they judge your reaction to that, yeah. if they know they're under your skin, you're cooked. Man, you are absolutely host. Oh, and, yeah. and, 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 and I loved what you just said about, the, the choice and it's so true and we've all had those guys that you know get get so rubbed the wrong way when you start giving them grief you can't stop it's so much fun well that's right you know but uh, you know eventually most of them come around and and realize you know that that you know it is you know it, it's all in fun uh, and you know by your reaction is, is, is how you're judged when you think of your time with tiger and you had a lot of time with Tiger on the course. I'm not so sure what you had off the course. I'm not sure many people have had a lot of time off the course with him. What comes to mind for David Faraday? Obviously, a lot of time with him on the course, right at the leading edge. You know, I was with CBS for, for 19 years, and every time, you know, Tiger Woods was on the air, it was either Peter Costas or myself, you know, that, that was, was with him. And uh, I, I spent a fair bit of time with him off, uh, you know, away from the camera as well. And, uh, you know, he's a complicated character. Um, I, as well as I know him, I, I really don't know him that well. Uh, he, uh, I'm not sure anybody does. He had a complex. No, I'm, I'm not sure anybody does either. You know, he, he put up such an iron dome um, that uh, in order to be as good as he was, it was almost a prerequisite. You know that he uh, that he had that hard shell uh, around him, and I, I think uh, a lot of a lot of it too was you know we forced him to be that way by following him everywhere with a camera. Uh, you know he didn't get a minute's peace. You know so uh, you know between that and uh, you know the the fact that he was uh, you know has been over the years so badly managed. 
um, you know, that, uh, you know, it is, it's difficult. Uh, you, you know, there were times when I just wanted to, to, to grab them and say, look, just spend five, ten minutes with me here, you know, and show a little vulnerability. It, it would have gone such a long way, uh, you know, to helping people to understand who he is. David, for me, it was so hard to watch play out in the public eye the, you know, it's been called the karma, the greatest karma sandwich of all time, you know, with, with what happened to him after Thanksgiving in 09 and all of that jazz. But for someone that, that did so much for us, for the game, for our sport, you know, if, if this thing doesn't happen, every single rule, I mean, every single record in our rule book, in our, in our history books, is going to be undone. By this guy, he'd, he'd have had, David, I don't think there's any question in my mind, he'd have had between 25 and 35 majors in 150 tournaments. It's uh, amazing how good he was and how much better he was than everybody else. I think read, uh, in, in the official world golf rankings, which are now irrelevant, so that's another story. Um, you know, the guy who was second in the world, you know, for a long time was Ernie Els, for a while it was VJ Singh, for a while I think it was Phil, uh, you know, but at one point, you know, the gap in points between him and the guy who was second was the same as the gap in points between the guy who was second and the guy who ranked 1,000th wow. in the world. Oh my uh, God. You know, and, and that, uh, that uh, to me, along with, you know, the cuts made, um, you know, the, the amount of majors is one thing, but I mean, he holds so many other records um, that, that will never be beaten. No one's ever going to make 143 cuts in a row, you know, you know, from now until the end of time, you know, uh, that's not going to happen. So I mean, for me, it was just such a privilege to be around him and, and to, be, to be as close as I got to him. Uh, you know, for so many years, you know, to be at the leading edge of that and be able to see it up close and in person was was just uh, it was such a privilege. David, you you said something a moment ago that really struck me. You said he was badly managed, and you talked about hey, maybe show your your vulnerability. If you were to manage him, put yourself in that that spot in that position, what would you have done? What would you have said to Tiger? How would you have potentially managed him? having had a chance to be in the media, been a player, understand what he was in to an extent of those shoes, what what would you have done with him? Well, the first thing I would have done was, you know, to have me interview him, not Oprah, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, Hell yeah. Absolutely. And, and, you know, my first question would have been like, dude, seriously, what were you thinking? And, you know, for, for, for to have him just honestly answer that, you know, and I don't know what the answer was, but God, you know, I don't know. I just... I let it get, I let it run away from me, you know, and, and, uh, I, I, you know, I'm an addict. Um, I have that addictive gene, uh, and I'm you know, going to do my best to, to navigate my way through this, you know, and hopefully, you know, people will forgive me and, you know, cause people did, it just took too long. Um, it, uh, he, he received so bad advice. You know, a time from yes, man, you know, people that just wanted to maintain their position within, you know, his his little organization there, you know, that, that was around him. 
Um, I'm not talking about the massive organization, you know, the Tiger Woods Foundation, and he's done so much good and, you know, helped educate so many children. It's it's hard to to, to put a price on that. It, it really is. And as Jay says, you know, what what he's done for the rest of us, um, you know, we should uh, we should form a human carpet of golfers' buttocks that he could wear hard stuff. <laughs> Uh, oh know, my to, gosh! To the first tee, you know what, David? What what the the people that he brought into the game, the excitement that he brought into the game. The I, I mean, and I didn't. I'm old, but I wasn't old enough to get to play in Jack's prime. But there was nothing like that. We had you and I had never experienced anything like that sort of excitement on a golf course. Whether it was the Bay Hill Classic and him making another putt on 18, or you know him making a a birdie in the third round of a U.S. Open somewhere. The amount of people that he brought in, it it, it was staggering. I can remember playing in the um, – I was 46. I played in the U.S. Open at Wingfoot, and his dad had just died. And our, our fathers had actually passed away on the same day, coincidentally. And I had left a note in his locker, and we had said a few things. But I had my children with me at Wingfoot, and we were out on – Tuesday afternoon, and all of a sudden, I mean, it seemed like out of nowhere, but probably a, a horde of 20, 15 or 20,000 people were moving towards the practice tee. And my daughter said, Dad, what is going on? I said, Tiger's going to practice. It's the only thing, David, that it could have been, unless there was, you know, a tsunami or something coming in Westchester County. It was a, an unnatural phenomenon. There was no question about that. It was like he was a, uh, a magnet. You know that that drew you know so many people uh, towards the game, uh, and you know brought a lot of eyeballs to the screen that might not otherwise have been there. Um, you know, winning majors, winning tournaments, and just you know you expected so much of him, uh, and he delivered on on so many occasions. You know, it, it, unlike any player in history. Do you think he has one more win in him to get to that elusive one more win? I think he does. Yeah. In fact, it would surprise me um, if uh, if he doesn't win again. I know he's not going to play very much, but he's not going to play at all unless he thinks he can win. And the only mistake that I've ever made in, in my commentary about Tiger Woods is when I've underestimated him. Yeah. Man, that is so true. I have counted him out. I, I can remember when his, he was struggling with his back, and you know that we were told getting that back fusion but was a career-ender. He comes back, and it, it made all the difference in the world. The guy comes back with all the speed. Suddenly his glutes were firing again, thank God, and uh, off he went. And, I, I, I mean, for the life of me, I couldn't figure that out. He's just a, a creature from another planet. I, uh, I, 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 nobody has ever seen anything like him. And my children won't see golf like that. Their children probably won't see golf like that. You know, it's, uh, it's just a once-in-a-millennia uh, you know, uh, that kind of experience. David, we'll we'll wrap it up here with a couple more minutes, a couple more questions for you. Do you see a time in which Live and, and PGA, uh, the PGA Tour, that they come together, that uh, effectively this becomes uh, a United Tour or a World Tour or, or however it comes together, but do you see this coming together where we truly do have the best players in the world coming together on a uh, a collective tour to where we see everybody back together the way it should be. I, I don't see them coming together 
Danny, but I do see, you know, players on both sides being able to play in, in one or the other, you know, um, and, and I think that's, uh, that, that's pretty good. It's as good as we can hope for. And, uh, you know, if the live players uh, can find a way to earn official world golf ranking points again, well, then, you know, the, the world golf rankings come back in relevant. And um, I, I think that's the most important thing because, you know, majors and, uh, you know, they want to see the best field. Um, they deserve to have the best field. And uh, if you've got a player like Dustin Johnson who's ranked 300th in the world, well, it kind of makes a mockery of it. You know, so we have to find a way where, uh, you know, our guys, you know, can play in, in relevant golf tournaments around the world. Couple of things. I, I, I we talked about your show, and I know people that are listening are going to be so excited. Give us a little bit of time frame when we can expect, but to see you back uh, doing your thing, I uh, I personally can't wait. We're not sure the shape of the show yet. There's a bunch of us kind of work, throwing ideas around, you know. But I would hope by the middle of uh, of next year, you know, we would uh, we would have something to put on the air. And for me, finally, Jay and I are, are intimately involved in our community with the military uh, in, in the middle of America and, and obviously in St. Louis and Missouri. But uh, you have done just incredible, incredible amounts of work with the military uh, for the United States. And it's just remarkable the amount of money and awareness that you have raised for uh, veterans, fallen soldiers, the men and women of our military, and, and you're to be commended for that. And, and so, uh, David, what, what are you doing now? What, what's happening with that, and, and how can people get involved? Because, again, you're to be commended for everything you've done with that. I'm just about to go and see uh, a ranger, uh, uh, Victor Van Damme, uh, a wounded sniper, um, who's uh, got you know an adapter of mine for a suppressor. <laughs> wow. And, uh, I love it. You know, there there are five reasons why th this country is great, and they are Army, Navy, Air Force, Marines, and Coast Guard. Uh, and five reasons only, because it has nothing to do with politicians. It's got nothing to do with business people. You know, it, it's, it's about our armed forces. They're the reason that we have the freedom, you know, that we have the, the ability to have lives that we have. Um, every time we've fallen back on them, you know, they've come through. And, uh, you know, for me, just the opportunity to be around them uh, is the greatest honor of, of my life. Uh, a Troops First Foundation and Jay has been tremendously helpful uh, with me. You know, our, our fundraising events, uh, our efforts at Oakmont, where the people have been incredible. Uh, with George Strait, um, who uh, has put on an event each year for us for the last 11 years and um, raised millions of dollars. Uh, you know, we're... Uh, we're continually trying to, to improve the lives of, of uh, the kids uh, that, that need us. And we're, uh, our efforts in suicide prevention, you know, continue with Operation Warrior Call. We provide service dogs. Um, and uh, it, it, like I say, it's just the greatest honor of my life. David, I got to tell you, we love talking golf. I love having dinner with you. I love where the hell our conversations go. God only knows where we go. But honestly and truthfully, the way that I feel hanging around our, our men and women heroes that have come back without an arm, no eye, all of these scars, both you know emotional and physical, the way I feel around them changed my life. It, it, it's, it's impossible to 
say enough in some sort of stupid words to make it make any sense. But these folks, these heroes have the greatest attitude and such admiration and respect for our country and our flag. It's changed me. And I, and I, and I'm so grateful. Yeah. Me too. And you know, how we started this conversation about people being offended, um, you know, and having no sense of humor, their, their sense of humor is extraordinary. You know, these kids that come home broken, uh, you know, burned badly, missing limbs, you know, with uh, post-traumatic stress disorder. I tell them I have PTSD. I have pre-traumatic stress disorder. I'm pretty sure something shitty is going to happen. I have just no idea when. <laughs> but, but they they, uh, they they have that incredible sense of humor that 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 makes you admire them even more. And and I know that you know Brandon Morocco, um, uh, Jay, um, who uh, who came back from Iraq with uh, with no arms and no legs. Uh, you know, he, lo- he lost all four limbs. He was the first American serviceman to survive such an injury. And, um, you know, for, uh, for the first few months um, of his uh, physical therapy, he did it in a swimming pool. So we called him Bob. Oh. And, <laughs> yeah. And, and Brendan laughs, you know. And, uh, you know, w- when, he, when he got his double arm transplant, um, he, uh, he had a double arm transplant, which was successful. And uh, he received the arms of a 16-year-old girl who was tragically, you know, killed in a in a vehicle accident. You know, so we told him he wasn't allowed to touch himself until he was 18. <laughs> oh, and, you know, and and Brandon laughs. You know, so you know, if Brandon uh, can laugh, you know, don't tell me, you know, that. You know, if you're uh, one of these marginalized groups, you know, or whatever, you know, that gets so offended. You know, that, that you can't laugh, give me a break. David, uh, is there a way that people can support you that are listening to this around the country? Uh, is there a website they can do, go to, phone number? Where, where can they uh, can find out your events and, and go support you? Yeah, I'd go to will You'll find out all of the info that you need. And, you know, we're very appreciative of any support that we get. I gotta, I gotta wrap up with this though. I got now. I have a final question. Yeah. Dead or alive, military member that you would love to interview? Um, well, you know that there are a lot of, of people, in the, and, and uh, you know, uh, around the periphery of the military, uh, people like Churchill. Yeah. Um, you know uh, what I wouldn't have given to have spent the honor in his company. Um, people like Thomas Jefferson, uh, you know, uh, just uh, heroes of mine. Um, Chesty Puller, uh, the the legendary Marine. Uh, boy, I mean, that's a difficult one. That's almost as hard to, to answer as, as you know who's my favorite interview. I but, bet. Uh, really, I, I I'm uh, you know Ray Odierno, who was the chief of the army. Uh, passed away uh, uh, fairly recently. Uh, was a great friend of mine. I would love to have been able to spend another hour with Ray. Um, so many, you know. But I, I'm happy, and, and I'm happiest when I'm in their company. That's for sure. 
this has been just awesome to visit with you and fascinating. Congratulations on what you're doing with Live, but more importantly, what you're doing for our fallen soldiers and our really, our truly, our heroes. So thank you so much, David. This has been incredible. Love you, buddy. You too, mate. Yeah, we'll see you down the road. Darty Business Solutions has been enhancing the business of our customers for the last 37 years. How do we do it? Through our expertise in technology, better use of data and analytics, artificial intelligence, and machine learning. We roll up our sleeves and collaborate. We build applications and effectively communicate with our partner clients to bring their goals and objectives to the finish line. Our award-winning Access Point program is a community game changer. With nearly 100 students in the program, mostly young African-American females are making between $55,000 and $60,000 per year right out of high school. That's right, $55,000 to $60,000 a year right after high school graduation. That's when they begin their training. CEO Ron Darty believes the talent is equally distributed, but access to that opportunity is not. So here's Access Point, providing more and more opportunity for those in and around our community. It's Darty Business Solutions. Christmas is a time to make memories with the ones we love. Memories of sharing our favorite holiday traditions. Memories of spending time with family. But some kids won't have the memories of opening gifts around the tree. This Christmas, you can make a difference in the lives of Cardinal Glennon kids who won't be home for the holidays. Give your gift today at treeofhope.org and give hope to a child this Christmas. Are you driving an out-of-warranty car? It's only a matter of time before your out-of-warranty vehicle is in the shop costing you thousands of dollars. Auto repair costs are up nearly 20% from last year, which is four times the rate of inflation. If an unexpected breakdown happened today, would you be ready for that? Well, now you can be with a plan through CarShield. Even if your car is just over three years old, it's still prone to expensive costs. Your car is more than just getting you from point A to point B. Traveling by car is a way of life. From picking up your kids to going to a new restaurant, cars are a daily essential. When you enroll in a car protection plan through CarShield, you can look forward to the following. The price will never go up no matter how many claims you file or no matter how high the mileage on your car increases. CarShield offers protection plans that start as low as $100 per month. That's $100 per month. They have repair coverage for up to 5,000 different parts of your vehicle. Plus, when your car breaks down and you're stuck on the side of the road, you get 24-7 coast-to-coast roadside assistance. You also get complimentary towing and rental car options. CarShield has my back when my car breaks down, and they can have yours too. Call CarShield today at 800-465-6550 or visit carshield.com. It's CarShield, proud sponsor of the Golf with Jay Delsing Show. Family Golf and Learning Center, no matter your age or skill level, Family Golf and Learning Center, located in Kirkwood, has something for you. They've got it all. PGA and LPGA instruction, double-decker driving range, par-3 golf course, trackman simulators, a large short-game green design to help you with all your shots around the green, bunkers, rough, and Zoysia fairway pitching. 
And now open the Tahoma Bermuda Grass Tees, the best turf to hit from in St. Louis. It's all at Family Golf and Learning Center. To schedule a lesson or to find out more, visit FamilyGolfOnline.com. That's FamilyGolfOnline.com. Family Golf and Learning Center. We make St. Louis better at golf. I want to welcome Redbird Heating and Cooling to the Golf with Jay Delsing show. You can reach them at 314-320-9507 or on the website redbirdhvac.com. CEOs Jed Dickinson and Jerry Pearson run the area's most responsive and dedicated heating and cooling company that's been conscientiously supporting the St. Louis area for the last decade. Just last month, when my air conditioner stopped working, Jed and his team were at my home at 7 a.m. to replace one unit and then repair the other. Your money, like it's our money, was Jed's statement to me, and the repairs for Unit 2 was less than $200. If you want to work with a family-owned business that you can trust, then call 314-320-9507 or visit them at redbirdhvac.com. That's redbirdhvac.com. This is Jay Delsing coming to you from the Car Shields Golf Studios. I hope you'll join me Sunday mornings from 8 to 10 for Golf with Jay Delsing, presented by Darty Business Solutions. That's Golf with Jay Delsing every Sunday morning on 101 ESPN.